Amen. Well, I'm going to tell you the truth. I enjoyed all y'all singing that song, but I, these two little girls down here were singing it, and it tore me up to see little kids singing a song like that, glorifying God. It makes me think of Scripture, that we need to be like children, right? And uh, that got me. That got me. Well, I am glad you're all here. Let me get everything set up here. We are talking today, and I love this cover, Lori did. We're talking about the power, the, or excuse me, the, uh, the power, uh, she put the problem, uh, it's the power, <laughs> the person, and the plan. Lori, what was the problem there? <laughs> and you can see 12 apostles, the power of Jesus, the person of Jesus, and his plan. Uh, if you're there already, uh, you're, we're in the book of Mark. If you're not, please turn there, chapter 3 of the book of Mark. I want to give you a brief introduction um, as we start this. If you guys knew your departure date, if you knew your departure date, your death date, when you would be leaving this world, let's say a month, two weeks, you know what? Let's just make it simple for everybody. Uh, you have a week left. What would you do with the time remaining? Your remaining time, what would you do with it? I know some of you are gone, gone country song on me. You're like, I'd go bungee jumping, right? I'd jump out of airplanes, because what am I worried about? I'd wrestle alligators. Um, no, you wouldn't. You know what you would do with your remaining time? You'd prepare those closest to you for your departure, wouldn't you? You'd bring in those who are in most intimate relationship, your spouse, your children. You'd bring in those people and you would nurture and, and, and comfort those people in those relationships. You'd tell them how proud you are, your expectations, your hopes for them, how much they mean to you. You would share that. You'd say, honey, here's the accounts. Here's what we have in savings. Here's what we have in checkings. Here's my life insurance. Here's all the passwords. You'd be preparing people for your departure. And there's a lot to do. This is why people do living wills, and this is why people do the, the pre-planned funeral arrangements. So it's easier on their loved ones at their departure. Now, I want you to keep that in mind. Please, what I just discussed with you, the departure date, keep that in mind. In today's text, though, we're going to see Jesus returning to the synagogue. He returns to the sea, and he returns to the mountains. But in the synagogue, Jesus, something really interesting happens. Um, he is going to ask an unanswerable question to the Pharisees. Now, it's one that he will answer in action, but for them it's unanswerable. Then he retreats to the sea. He is going uh, to be surrounded by such a great crowd. We're talking people coming from everywhere. Such a great crowd, and they're only there so that they can touch him. That's what they want to do. They just want to touch him. And then the mountain. A beautiful scene. A beautiful scene on a mountain where Jesus appoints his 12 apostles. Folks, the healings, 
the removal of demons, the miracles, the teachings, all of the good that Jesus has done and is presently doing will lead a group of people to do bad. This group of people are going to cause harm, they want to destroy, and ultimately they're going to kill because of good. So our discussion today will revolve around the power of Jesus and His person. The power we see in the healings, we see in Him the, the teachings, the doing good. However, He is now targeted because of this. He is now targeted. The person of Jesus. We're going to see growing in popularity. Again, people are seeking Him from everywhere. Therefore, the target on His back just grows larger and larger, while those behind the scenes are making their plans for destruction. Today, we're going to see Jesus revealing to us His plan, His plan. His plan is going to include 12. You ready for this? Twelve ordinary, unqualified, inferior, fallible, and inadequate men. Does that sound familiar? Everybody thinks these men were, they had to be this, they had to be that. No, they were ordinary men, fallible, inferior. Now listen, the crowds may have been growing larger. Remember what I told you about your departure date, how you'd pull those closest to you in? As the crowds grew larger, larger, excuse me, uh, Jesus drew himself to himself fewer people. While all around him was growing and growing into his specific uh, world of discipleship and apostleship, he is drawing to himself uh, a few group. And it's you understand there was a big group following Jesus, many disciples, folks. It wasn't just twelve. He had many followers. But what happened was he chose out of those disciples 12, 12 who would be his apostles. Now, they would have specific tasks, these men. Why? Why did Jesus have to do this? Well, Jesus was a targeted man. He was marked for destruction. His time was limited, and he knew he was destined to die. So the selection of the 12 was his plan to continue the preaching of the gospel, the spreading of the good news, to preach to as many as possible. So Jesus was preparing these men for his departure, just like you would do with your closest family members, as you would plan yours. He will nurture each relationship. He will teach them in person, personally, one-on-one, and as a group. He will test them by experience, and He will ultimately give them authority for each of their ministries. John 14, 12 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in Me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will He do, because I am going to the Father. So we know this plan is in place. My goal today, of course, is going to be twofold. Two things. First, you know how last week I asked you to please start slowing down as you read Scripture. 
breathe it in, take it in, absorb it. Let that scripture become part of who you are, written on your heart, slow down. Today, I want you to picture what we're reading. And the picture I want you to see is that mountain scene. When we get to it, I just want you to use your imaginations, picture that, because it's a beautiful scene. It is a beautiful scene where Jesus selects the 12. I want you to picture it. And I also want you to know that God is the qualifier. Four men that he approached were fishermen. They didn't become fishers and men on their own. He said in Scripture, I will make you. I will make you. I want us today to understand that God is qualifying us. He, Jesus, listen, Jesus was personally committed to the growth and maturing of these apostles. He was committed, except for Judas, as we all know. These men were trustworthy, and they were teachable. They were committed. Are you? Am I? And I want us to ask that question as we read these different parts of today's Scripture in Mark. Are you and am I? Scripture over and over demonstrates to us Jesus' commitment to us. Over and over His commitment to us. What about our commitment to Him? Because I'm going to go ahead and tell you His plan. It's still, it is still active. Are you a part of it? Are we teachable, church family? Are we trustworthy, what he's given us? Because it's not about the achievements that you have made up to this point in your life. It's not. It's about the potential that you still have. Jesus qualifies us. So look in your Bibles. Mark 3. Let's look at this uh, 1 through 6 together. Mark 3, 1 through 6. Again, He entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent, and he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and as, his hand, as his hand was restored, right? The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. He healed a man. And they instantly went out, how do we destroy this man? So we're in the synagogue. Picture this. Let's watch him. Let's just watch him. Let's see what he does. Do you think he's going to heal him? I don't know. Folks, it wasn't could he. Did you get that in Scripture? They have seen Jesus Christ heal over and over and over. It wasn't could he do this. It was would he. There's a big problem there. Would he. You remember the leper? The leper said, if you can, or if you will, you can. Lord Jesus, if you're willing to heal me, you can. They knew that he could heal anybody. They could definitely heal this man with a withered hand, but would he? Makes me question, was this man here on his own? Did he come on his own to the synagogue? Was he part of a, a, a pharisaical plot? I don't know. We don't know. But one thing we can all agree on, everybody saw the man with the withered hand, and he was in need, wasn't he? This was in need. So did this man have to wait for another day? 
Did this man have to be scheduled for healing? Remember last week, it is always the right time to do the right thing? Which brings about the question, the question Jesus asked, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? Do you expect an answer from them? Because there was absolute silence. Silence. Jesus was grieved over their silence, and he became angered over their silence because of the hardness of their heart. Here's why. They could not answer this question without condemning themselves. They couldn't answer it. If they have no mercy for saving life or healing, then they indict themselves as killers. Yet if they agree, yeah, let's do good, well now they too are promoting Jesus Christ healing on the Sabbath. What do you do? Don't answer. Shh, be quiet. Don't say anything. They remain silent. So the callousness of their hearts is what grieved Jesus, that they were holding back. It was a sad, sad state. So although the trap was sprung, right, we got him. We got him. He healed. We got him. Jesus once again proved that it is always, always the right time to do the right thing, to do good, to save life. If I asked any of you guys this question, I'm sure everybody would here would say, I'd rather see good done. I'd rather see life saved than harm or destruction. But they remained quiet. The Pharisees also couldn't have cared less that a man was restored that day. They could have cared less, or couldn't have cared less that, that a man was healed. A great need was repaired. They were only worried about trapping Jesus in this act of doing good. So they went to this group called the Herodians. Now, the Herodians are a Jewish political party that sympathized with the rulers of the, Herod, uh, or the Herodian dynasty. That's the Herods that we read about in Scripture. Therefore, they were uh, sympathizing with Rome. They allied with Rome, which we know in the end comes into play, don't we? So they are depicted as uh, aligning with the Pharisees against Jesus. Now, it's interesting, in spite, in spite of these two parties' conflicting views, which they did, they did not agree on everything, but we can find common ground if, it talk, if we're going to talk about destroying Jesus. So Jesus was a target. That's what happened in the synagogue. Let's now move on to the sea. Look at your scripture here, uh, 7 through 12 in chapter 3. Jesus withdrew his, with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. So we go from the synagogue to the sea. Now, this, when we talk about the sea, we're talking about the Sea of Galilee. And this is where Jesus and his disciples would retreat to. Um, this great crowd, did you hear all those places? Galilee and Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea. 
and, and from beyond the Jordan and, and around uh, Tyre and, and Sidon. That is a lot of people. And when the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. There was no marketing, right? There was no billboards or posters. They came to him. Word of mouth got around. And this was a huge problem for the target that's already been painted on his back. So what is the reason for this great crowd? Well, unfortunately, it's the physical. It's physical help over spiritual blessing. See, the preaching was not as important as the miracles of healing. It wasn't. Nonetheless, the great crowds came, and you know what? They were posing a threat to the establishment of Jewish leaders, and they were posing a threat to Rome. Although we don't see it yet, the Pharisees and the scribes and the Herodians, they saw it. They had to think, was Jesus leading an uprising? Look at the amount of people following this man. Leaving us, leaving the establishment and following this man, something's up. Are they going to overthrow us? we got to watch this guy. There were so many, though, that a boat had to be uh, prepared and ready upon his arrival so that he would not be enveloped and, and crushed. That's amazing to have that kind of concern to be crushed. That's a lot of people. So there were many around him. And the whole reason they were around him was just to touch him. I don't think there's anybody in this room that wouldn't want to reach out and touch Jesus either. So you can imagine how many. And again, the fear was to be crushed. We have three different groups here. I just think this is important to talk about. Three different types of groups. We have people who want healings. And, and within that group, to see the healings. I mean, who wouldn't want to see someone get healed, right? Who wouldn't want to witness a miracle? That's one group. They're there for the good. But you have another group that is plotting, the Pharisees and Herodians, plotting his destruction while this is going on. And then you have this other group we call unclean spirits. Look at, your, look at Mark 3.11. We just read it. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. Again, look at the groups. I want to be near you because I want this. I'm watching you because I want this. And it's the demons, the unclean spirits that are saying, falling down before him, going, you are the son of God. Man, that's impressive. I don't know how many people got to hear these demons speak before Jesus shut their mouths. But had I heard that, there would have been a whole different, it would have been a different ball game for me. I'd have been like, hold on a second. Demons are declaring him as the son of God? That would have been something. See, we've got to take all this in as we read this story. Again, the miracles, along with the mass of people coming to see him, made the target that much bigger, that much larger. So something has to be done if the ministry of Jesus is going to move forward. If it's going to reach the whole world, something has to be done because things are not looking good. Look at verses 13 through 19 in chapter 3. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. And have authority to cast out demons. 
So he appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. We get all twelve names of those he called. So he is on the mountain. This is the plan. So we have the synagogue where they entrap him. we got to do something about this guy. We have the sea where such a great crowd poses the threat. Well, we got to do something about this guy. And now we see the solution. See, after praying, Jesus went on this, the mountain earlier. After praying the previous night on this mountain, Jesus calls to him those whom he desired. Again, although he had many followers, many disciples, he chose 12 apostles, and this would be the plan put into action that would deal with the growing problem with the Pharisees, the scribes, and the Herodians. This, my friends, was the solution to the problem. Apostles, which that means one who is sent out. Now, we are talking about the office of apostles. That's not around anymore. This is a special group of people. I know there are churches out there that acclaim uh, apostleship. That shouldn't be. Missionaries, church planners, those are the closest to apostles. It's the spirit of apostleship, the gifted function of apostleship. But the office of apostles was for these 12 and for a man like Paul. See, these men would live with Jesus. They would learn from him, and they would go out and serve under his authority because that's what apostle means, one who is sent out. In fact, we have the qualifications for this given. When Judas betrayed Jesus and they cast lots and the lots fell to Matthias, Matthias replaced him. But prior to that, they said, and this happens in Acts 1, 21 through 22, so one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men should become, uh, should must, uh, excuse me, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. Now, there are many people in Scripture called apostles, but you have to really look into this. Because to be a true apostle, an office of apostle, you have to have witnessed the death and resurrection of Jesus. You had to have been with him during that time. Now, Paul, Paul met the resurrected Jesus. Paul was commissioned directly by Jesus. So you can see the difference in when someone begins called an apostle versus the office of apostle. What I'm trying to tell you is this was an important task, an important position. Teachings, power to drive out demons, healing sickness, healing disease. Jesus was sharing his power with imperfect humans just like us. And some people say, you know what? We can't match those apostles. Well, you're right when it comes to apostleship. We're not apostles. But Peter denied, ladies and gentlemen. Peter denied. Thomas doubted. James and John, they were, they, one of their attributes was self-centered ambition. All of them ran away at the rest of Jesus. 
I love the Bible because it shows how real it is. The gospel accounts are not glorifying their weaknesses, but glorifying the God who can use people as weak as they were, Hmm. as weak as we are. That's the power of our God. He uses those who are weak to reveal His power. You can look at Job. You can look at Moses, David, Isaiah, and Paul, all imperfect, all of them, flawed humans. But in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, it says this, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Isn't that amazing? We serve a God who who can reveal and demonstrate His power through our weakness. That's amazing. But you know what? That's exactly what's happening with these 12 apostles. This exact thing for the next three and a half years, this is what they will be doing. But what do these men have to offer? What was so special about these 12 men? How would they be the solution to the departure of Jesus Christ from this earth? How would they be the solution? Well, it goes all all the way back to the words, follow me. He said, follow me. Jesus qualified them as men up for the task, men that were teachable, men that would be trustworthy. He would be committing the future of his message and the future of his ministry into the hands, minds, and heart hearts of these appointed apostles. Isn't that amazing? Have you ever thought about it like that? What was happening on this mountainside is, is it's huge. The commitment Jesus is making. These newly appointed apostles, they were ordinary men. Ordinary who in order to learn and be ready to preach the good news would need to spend time with Jesus and learn to pattern their lives after his. If you spend enough time with somebody, you get to know them very well. You can learn from them, and yes, you can also pattern your life. And this is the beauty that I'm speaking to, folks. Please try to see this with me. This is the beauty. This is a picture of love on this mountain. It's a picture of commitment, of devotion, of loyalty. See, they laid the foundation of the church, Talking about apostles here. We're not adding to the foundation of the church. It's been built. We are building up on it. We are building upon it. So for someone here today that says, I'm an apostle and I'm going to add to the foundation, well, you can't do that just like you can't add to Scripture. That was for the apostles. That was the beautiful task that was given them. So this picture on the mountainside, it is something else. We're not adding to the foundation. We're building upon it. See, the apostles were instrumental in giving us what Jesus taught. They wrote it down. It was recorded. And through the uh, Holy Spirit, through his guidance, they were able to recall what he wanted in Scripture. So they were instrumental in, 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 in what Jesus taught and said. They were also instrumental in making sure his words reached us. They didn't keep it in a region, did they? No, they continued to make disciples who made disciples, who made disciples. They were teachable, 
They were trustworthy and up to the task. We have unqualified men who God qualified. And you may be saying, Pastor Mark, where in the world are you going with all this? Here it is. I wanted you to see the scene in the synagogue of why he was targeted. I wanted you to see the scene by the sea as to what was happening in reality, in public life, why he was targeted. Because the targeting of Jesus Christ was all about the destruction, killing him. We don't end with Jesus Christ. How could we meet today and still be glorifying him and reading his scripture if it ended there? He made sure that this ministry that he started would continue. So God chose to do the ordinary. <clears throat> he, well, he chose the ordinary to do the extraordinary is what I'm trying to say. Jesus did not choose these men for what they were, but for what they would become. You ever thought about that? It's not for who they were or what they were. It's what they would become. Before Jesus' departure, they would be commissioned to make disciples of all nations, teaching others to observe all that he had commanded them to do. We know that. We've read that. We talk about that at our missions conferences all the time. But then he says this, and I will be with you always to the end of the age. We're in a special age called the church age. See, the apostles are no longer with us. I think we could all agree to that. Yet, we see the promise of Jesus being with us still stands to the end of the age. So, church family, we are part of the plan. Unqualified, unqualified flawed, faulty, and broken. We are part of the plan. We are to carry on with the good news that we have received. Now, you may go, oh, that's just a bullet point, Pastor. We know that. Reach the Word. Spread the Word. We're ministers of the Word. But listen, I need you to think about this. I need you to think about that mountain scene. When we look to God's Word, we can see the commitment that Jesus had made, has made to us. If you're, not re if you're reading the Bible and you can tell me, I don't see it, you need to schedule an appointment. I will walk through it because, listen... In Scripture, you can find the commitment that Jesus has made to you. Appointing these 12 was a commitment to you that you would receive his word, that you would know who he is. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. But what about our commitment to him? And that's my question today. I asked you earlier, are we? Am I? Are you? There is a commitment that we have to make. He teaches us. He equips us. He prepares us. He makes us ready for the task of sharing his message with others. But I have to ask this. Are you and am I, are we trustworthy in all this? Isn't that the real question? Are we trustworthy for what he's given us? See, the potential that our God sees in you. You ready for this? The potential that our God sees in you can become a living reality in you when you are becoming what and who you were supposed to be. Because you may not be that person yet. It can become a living reality, becoming what you are supposed to be. Because that's the potential God sees. The secret to this, and there is a secret ingredient the secret to this is found in verse 14. After appointing the, uh, the 12, what does the Bible tell us? 
so that they might be with him. See, this is the kind of stuff you have to slow down and take in so that we might be with him, so that they might be with him. See, we have to spend time with Jesus. We have to learn from Jesus. But if we're not giving him that time, how do we know him? How do we learn? We don't. We don't. See, the power and person of Jesus are present in the Holy Spirit and church family. We said yes to following him, didn't we? So we were given this beautiful gift of the Holy Spirit. We became part of this awesome plan that started all the way back on that mountain. Have you ever been reading Scripture and were planning on speaking with somebody or sharing and witnessing uh, being a testimony to Jesus Christ? Do you realize that it stems from that mountain? What happened there? Jesus knew that his teachings, his miracles, this stuff needed to be recorded. What he said, we need to get it out there. And that's what these men did. It was a special task. It was a special group. So Jesus is committed to you. He is the one who qualifies you. Commit to him and let him make you who you are supposed to be. Let Jesus make you who you are supposed to be. I want to close with this last verse, Psalm 37.5. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. Amen? Let's pray. If I could have the ladies come on up to prepare communion. The rest of us, could we bow our heads, please? Heavenly Father, I'm just so grateful for your word. Lord, to see how this story played out, Lord, to know why these men wanted to remove you from this world. Lord, the plotting, the scheming, the planning to end your life was already taken hold in the hearts of so many hardened hearts, in the hearts of of calloused hearts. Yet you still did what you came to do. Lord, so many came out to just touch you. So many people heard your word. And 12 men were changed forever when they realized the reality of what you'd called them to as apostles, to take this word to the rest of the world. That's why we are in this church today. That's why we're about to have communion with you, Lord, because of that awesome event where you appointed 12. Lord, the plan still stands. We know we're a part of it. It doesn't end there, Lord. We're called to make disciples. We're called to share the good news. Father, that's what I'm praying for today, that you take each and every one of us and help us become who you see, who we're supposed to be, the potential that's there, Father, for you to shape and you to mold. Let us be that person. Father God, I pray for the change in each and every one of us so that we can be courageous and that we can be bold when we share the good news of your word. Because the time's not up yet. The end is not here yet. Let us prepare, Lord, for our departure, for the world's departure. Let us share your word just as your apostles did with us and just as you did with them. That's what I'm praying for today. Open our hearts. Remove the hardness, remove the stone-like features that, that can, can uh, just surround the heart and keep us from learning, keep us from growing. Remove all that and let us be who you want us to be, Jesus. I pray all of this in your name. Amen.